Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A Living History Production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special double edition of the podcast. This is a combined podcast again with Living History and Peter Hart's Military History. And I've got Peter Hart and Gary Bain with me because we are doing something very, very special today. We are here to announce, ta-da, the launch of the Gallipoli book. Peter Hart's The Gallipoli Evacuation is now available online to pre-order. It's coming out very soon, and I wanted to get these two gentlemen together to just talk about this wonderful achievement. Gary and Pete, thanks very much for joining us. It's a pleasure, isn't it, Gary? You're you're looking particularly lovely today. Uh, we're we're doing this on Zoom, but you just uh, the, the the sunshine seems to be glinting off the off your head in a most attractive manner. Yeah, it's not quite glinting as much off the top of my head as yours, Peter. <laughs> no, morning, mate. that's boring. <laughs> of course, Matt looks lovely. Well, thank you. I you know it's it's night time here, so the uh, you know artificial lighting, but I do my best. Um, the reason I wanted to get you together is just because this is a big moment. We want, I just wanted to get your feedback about this this book and why it's important. And you've both, obviously, Pete, you wrote it. Gary, you've read it. I've read it as well. It is a really great achievement. And I just thought this was a great opportunity uh, to tell people about just how proud we are of this book and some of the great stories we're going to tell. So, Gary, I'm going to start with you because we've spoken to Pete before and... Pete, we've done a couple of podcasts about the writing of this book, but Gary, you, I know you did very good work as Peter's life partner, um, <laughs> reading, <laughs> <laughs> reading and editing the book. Um, how did you find this story of the Gallipoli evacuation? Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I think that it's an area that not many people have covered, actually. I think it's mentioned in uh, a number of books, but not in any great detail. And uh, the most striking thing for me was some of the horrific stories around, uh, you know, the November storm. I've been to Gallipoli. I've, I've seen uh, one of the lighters on W Beach and just thought, oh, that's the result of the storm. Thought nothing else of it. Um, and Peter, you know, he captures some of that horror, frankly. And... Um, you know, normally with Pete's books, I say, oh, the first 25 pages are the best because that's usually as far as I get. But, you know, it was, it was a great read. And it, uh, you know, he had me editing it and I took out all the poetry and all that sort of stuff. But um, it, I think I did it over about two days, Pete, didn't I? Which for me, you know, that's like somebody reading a whole book in half an hour. It, yeah. it really does capture it. Thank you very much. <laughs> In part, in part, yes, yeah. It, it some of the stories are uh, are, are really horrifying. Um, we we did a podcast, Matt, on the uh, on the um, the great storm and the effects, and it's quite chilling, isn't it? The the the, the personal experience accounts. To be honest, I always think this 
with books. People say uh, there's too many quotes, but why, why, why don't you say more? Well, I wasn't there, was I? And nothing can match the words of the people who were there. Uh, whether it be through diaries or letters or or just personal experience accounts or or, or, or a few times oral history interviews, and that 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 has a real um, intensity because they were there. You know, I was born in nineteen sodding fifty five. I wasn't there. You know, uh, I'm only just here now. To be absolutely honest, by the time <laughs> this comes out, I may not be here given recent events. But uh, you know it. <laughs> I found the that there's one story. There's one story where a chap's, you know, goes for his. Cup. You remember this one, Gary? Because it's both. It's so British. The chap, the chap's going for his cup of tea, you know, and a shell comes screaming across from the Turks, and and, and slices this bloke's head off, you know, smashes his head up, and and there's brains and blood everywhere. And the bloke goes and sort of clears him up, checks he's dead. Of course, he's dead. And then he says at the end of it. And I went for me tea, <laughs> and it's it's just the the juxtaposition of horror and and living. You have to carry on living with it uh, unless you're the bloke with the head off, in which case you can have a bit of a lie there, down. There's another incident as well, Peter, and, and you'll correct me because I'm probably going to relate this badly. But there's a, a, a guy goes, an officer goes to a bunker first off, and he, you know, there's a number of dead people in the bunker, and he and he remarks on it. And then a private, I think it's a private law, goes some time later and he goes in and he searches the bodies, you know, because <laughs> he's looking for fags. And, and, and the whole thing is, is a, a, a real, to use Pete's word, juxtaposition. And it's all framed against a, a background of how the bloody hell are they going to get out of this? You know, this is their, their norm. Private law going in searching the bodies, that had become his norm. That was normal to him. And yet... You know, we got to get these guys off uh, of that peninsula. And, you know, I've read a number of Peter's books, all joking aside. And um, this, I think, is one of his best. It's quite good, I think. <laughs> that is my favourite. There's been two reviews I really enjoy. One was from someone who said a book of mine was quite good, which Gary is there deliberately quoting. And the other one, <laughs> referring to an early podcast on Monash, I think it was, and you drew it to my attention, Matt. And this fine Australian chap said we were a bitter pair of wankers. <laughs> <laughs> a pair of bitter wax and we were so impressed by that that that's going when, when covid ends hopefully ends or dies down uh we're going to put that on our business cards <laughs> pete and gary a pair of bitter wankers <laughs> fantastic um, you mentioned um, you may have to edit this <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier on about um walking the ground at gallipoli and i know we all love doing that we've never had the opportunity to do it together and hopefully we'll remedy that very soon in the future as soon as we're allowed to travel again what i'm finding about having read this book pete and gary i'll be interested to hear your thoughts about this as well is i can't wait to get back there because it's a whole part of the story that i didn't know i thought i knew the gallipoli story inside and out but as you say the great storm the the boats washed ashore the 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 streaming out of the frontline trenches and finding ways to get down the gullies and the ravines to get to the beach in time under the nose of the turks there's just so many elements of the story that i didn't know and I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back to Gallipoli and walking the ground again with that perspective. Even things like Pete, you talk about. We've mentioned this in previous podcasts. The uh, the cave where there, there was the the great explosion at W Beach as they evacuated. You know, I, I want to go and see these things, and I want to go and walk this ground with this fresh perspective. Because as we've said before, we tell the Gallipoli story 
effectively up until August most of the time. And then we sort of just sort of summarised the last four months by just saying and they hung around and they left. I can't wait to get back there and walk the ground and see it through these fresh eyes of the, uh, of the evacuation. Well, I'll tell you, there's one thing Gary mentioned. Uh, this is not just for, for people who haven't been to Gallipoli that often. It's also for people who've been there a lot because I am desperate to visit the site of the blockhouse and, and Dublin Castle. Uh, near Asmac Dare. I know where they are, but for me, that was always just a field, you know, with a stream running through it. Uh, it's at Suvla, uh, to the uh, north of, uh, of Scimitar Hill. And uh, that's where the blockhouse is, where the Laws and his officers were. That's the area they were in. Now, I've got map Because of the book, I've downloaded maps from the internet. I can't wait to go there to see if there's any traces of the blockhouse or the Dublin Castle on the ground. And to, 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 I don't know, it'll be a field, but it, it just brings it all so much at home. But that, that's a rarity at Gallipoli because most of it is not um, agricultural land. So the thing you mentioned at W Beach, the former cave, which is now a sort of uh, strange shaped gully, it's got the roof blown off, you know. It's a debris field. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what it is. You stand there and you think, oh, there's you know there's rocks scattered about. That's the debris. You know, I think our mutual friend Chris Carling pointed out to us. You know, that's because of the explosion, and the farmers can't move them because they're massive. And you stand there and you know, again, looking at things with different eyes. You you can imagine some private lance corporal nipping in there for a crafty fag you know and accidentally setting that lot off um it, 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 you do look at it with different eyes the story's been told you stand at v beach you stand on anzac you know and and they are awe inspiring they are and you spend a lot of time on that i don't think we've spent any time on the evacuation other than standing over uh, w beach at that cave and and you know, mentioning the explosion and, and the destruction of the stores. It's a story that needs to be told. It is brilliant. You know, the, the idea of, um, as I refer to it, conditioning the Turks to expect silences is a brilliant idea. You know, probably off the top of somebody's head. Who was it who, who Brudel, suggested it? Brudel White is given the credit for coming up with it. Well, you never know if some bloke, you know, in it, some yeah. junior staff officer had suggested it. Brudel White has the credit. And, and of course, Birdwood has the credit, and Monroe have the credit for, for going with the idea. So people forget. People say, oh, it wasn't Birdwood or it wasn't Monroe. But they have to approve the idea. And, you know, it seemed we know it worked. Can you imagine in November saying, well, what we'll do is we'll go dead quiet at night you know, so the Turks think we've gone, and then when they come over for a look, we shoot them. And, and can you imagine that all our lives depend on whether that works or not? We know it worked. They didn't know it worked in, in, in 1915. So it's, it's exciting. I find the whole tale exciting. And it's a sort of double crescendo because you've got all the, the, the two different threats of... Uh, uh, that faced the, the 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 British and the Australians and the New Zealanders at uh, at uh, Suvla and Anzac. So you've got at Suvla, it's three or four miles back, so that's a problem. But at Anzac, it's only a few hundred yards back, but they're they're right on top of each other. With you know, and, and so that builds up to a crescendo, and most of the attention is on Anzac, and quite rightly so because that's very very tense. But then you get a sort of 
you know, the, the story relaxes and then you switch attention to Hellas and there, bloody hell, not only are the British and French still fighting, you know, providing a bit of a diversion, but then they've not only are they three or four miles to go back, but they also have trenches that are only three or four yards apart. So it's a combination of the problems faced at Anzac and Suvla. So that makes the, the final bit of the book, for me, even more exciting. And it's, it's just a great, a great story. And, and it's nice. I, always, I keep saying this. It's nice that it has a happy ending. You know, people get away. It's a story. Not, not a lot of people are killed. Uh, some Turks are killed by the, uh, a couple of mines exploding in booby traps. Uh, that That's unfortunate for the story, but it, it happened. Um, but mostly it's a story of people getting away, of people surviving. Uh, now, we know that a lot of them go on to fight on the Western Front or in Mesopotamia. <laughs> we know that a lot of them, a lot of the heroes of my book get killed. But at least they get away with this part of the story. It's, 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 I think it's great. I, I'm so pleased to have been given the opportunity to do it. And this whole idea, this whole idea Matt's come up with of living history, promoting books, books which are produced cheaply, but which pay the authors properly and, 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 and which, 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 which are, uh, are merchandised, uh, through, through social media and the internet to, to provide a solid base of solid readership. It's a great opportunity for authors. And I, I, I do thank you, Matt. I'll be abusive towards you probably in about two minutes, but at the moment I'm feeling grateful. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take the praise while I can get it. But, um, uh, Pete, as you talk about that and what a great story it is and all these elements that people will discover as they read the book, um, th- the one thing that struck me as I was reading it is this story should be much better known. I-, I had no idea. I thought I knew about the evacuation. I had no bloody idea about how complicated it was, what an achievement it was, what a near-run thing it was, how many men nearly lost their lives and then didn't, just the, all the little intricacies. This was such an achievement. It should be. This should be heralded you know, in staff colleges and, and, and military academies around the world as a, as a wonderful example of staff work, of coordination, of good planning uh, and pure audacity on the battlefield. Why is it not better known than it is? Well, to some extent, it was seen as a, a, a you know, it, it, it is talked about in staff, uh, staff colleges to this day, but it was sort of subsumed by other events in the war. It is only 1915. So in a sense, there's lots of other better examples of staff work in 1918, for instance. The Australians uh, developed br- staff work brilliantly. Um, it's it, uh, it also, the story has been trivialised uh, to down to Scurry's self, self-firing rifle, which is a useful device, but not crucial. Brudenell White's silent periods, which uh, Gary rightly pointed to uh, the conditioning, as again Gary points out, to the conditioning of, of the Turks. You know, a psychological sort of experiment almost. Now, now, <laughs> if you do that, you'll end up dead. But if you stay in your trench and don't do anything at all, you'll be fine. And this sort of that is all. It it it's 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 all part of. It. I mean, it's a known psychological thing. I mean, I I, I don't I I think. The story gets overwhelmed also by by the fact that the main interest in in, in several countries is is Anzac and you know and and they don't tell the full story. So if you read a lot of uh, single volume histories, they tell a, they tell a bit about uh, Anzac Suvla, but then it's almost oh, and then they did it again at Hellas. And I know Gary, you you feel that that the Hellas story is sometimes f- sort of swamped. Um, you know, it it, it misses the misses uh, some of the excitement because they, they don't really. I mean, the weather's getting worse at 
Ellis as well. That's the other factor. The weather is getting worse. Well, there's also the fact that, you know, surely the Turks are not going to fall for it again, are they? And yet they do pretty much exactly the same thing. You know, they start with the periods of silences to condition the Turks again. Uh, and they have the same level of success. I mean, through the whole evacuation, uh, and again, Pete, you can correct me, I think there's there's no deaths, and I think three or four injured in the whole of the evacuation. So it's the genius of the simplicity. You know, it, it, one of the things that I hadn't ever thought about was the fact that they closed off some of the routes back down to the beaches that they've been using for months and months and months, and suddenly they're closed off because they want everybody to use the same routes. Well, in the middle of the night, you know, when you've when you've always turned right, suddenly you can't turn right anymore. You've got to go straight on and then further down. Just getting everybody to work like that must have been incredibly difficult. And you've got to hand it not only to the staff officers, but to the officers on the ground and the sergeants and the NCOs for getting those guys to do it in the way they did it. You know, if you were in... Uh, uh, they they categorised them in A, Bs and Cs and gave them different times to leave. So some left at uh, 2100, some left at uh, around midnight. And then the last to leave, the C group, was sort of three o'clock in the morning. If you were in that C group, you must have been cacking it because you are really vulnerable. Yeah, and if you take my, uh, places like um, Quinns, for example, let, let's we're not exaggerating here. They are feet apart. And yet they successfully moved quietly away uh, without the Turks reacting to it. And that was the point. The Turks could have reacted at any point. That was one of my nicknames, and... Feet Apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on from that. Um, <laughs> just, the, um, let's put, Gary, you let's put him in a bad mood. <laughs> You mentioned the uh, the categories of people and the timings leaving the trenches. This is an aside I haven't even told you about, Pete. I was up at the uh, in Sydney. There's a, a war veterans um, retirement village at Narrabeen on the northern beaches, and I was up there recently. And um, they've got a little museum there, which has got some great stuff where all the veterans who throughout the years have donated stuff to the museum, and they've just got a tiny little piece of paper, just in a little frame, just in a corner, which looks completely insignificant. But I realised looking at it the other day, it's an officer's hand-drawn table timetable for some of the last men to leave the trenches and it's got, like it's ridiculous the numbers it's like at one o'clock in the morning there'll be 135 men left in this entire section of trench you know where days before there would have been a battalion and the turks think there still is a battalion and what an extraordinary little piece of history that is i mean i know in the archives of the imperial war museum and the australian war museum they'll have lots of similar stuff but to just see that some an officer who was there kept that in his pocket after he left because he knew the significance of it. And then he moved into this retirement village and then he donated it to the village. And it's just this tiny little inconspicuous piece of paper. But what a weight of history that piece of paper carries. I just love stuff like that. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I love the situation. There's a, a very... He wrote the history of the Royal Naval Division, a chap called Douglas Gerald. He was a, a lieutenant or captain at the time. And he was a bad-tempered bugger. I do like bad-tempered people. Hi, Gary. And <laughs> he... Uh, <laughs> He, he he said that in the last few days for the evacuation, he had to track down where every man in his platoon was, or company was, I can't remember which. But th th they couldn't just say, oh, he's somewhere. I think he's gone to the, he's been detached to the Royal Engineers, or he's been, dis he's been, oh, he was wounded and went in July. You know, <laughs> suddenly you have to find out uh, 
every one of the sods are and several of them don't want to be found he said and it's just you know it was <clears throat> the level of detail and they didn't suffer casualties they had the normal day-to-day casualties but on the actual evacuation operations you know on the beach he's getting out they, they had a couple wounded that's all it's a miracle that they didn't leave more people behind because I've done a lot of work on Guadalcanal uh, in the Solomon Islands from the Second World War. And when the Japanese evacuated Guadalcanal in early 1943, they left hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men behind. The last scene, and the, the Americans, as they closed in, reported this, the last scene was a small Japanese boat just driving up and down the beach with someone in a megaphone saying, come and get on the boat now because we are leaving. And they left several hundred um, probably even several thousand it could be. There were, there were Japanese soldiers hiding out on Guadalcanal until the end of the war um, who just got left behind in the evacuation. So even the organisation to make sure that everyone was accounted for and on the boats, you it's think amazing. they would have left. You think there would have been some bloke who'd been in the latrine or something and wanted out to find that he was on his own and everyone had gone, but nothing. They got, rid, they got everyone to go, as we said, no well, deaths, just absolutely extraordinary. One of my favourites. But it's also... Carry on, go. Sorry, I was also, they, they extended that to the animals. You know, I'd always assumed that the poor old animals either were, were shot or left there, frankly. Um, but they got something like 5,000 of the animals. At Souvlin Anzac, yes. At, at Hellas, I'm afraid they shot a lot more because it's just tighter. You know, it's the whole situation. The, the, the story I most like, and I know you like this, is, is you know Cheshire Ridge. We've both been along Cheshire Ridge. Oh, no, Gary, you were too scared of the pointy bits. I was too scared, yeah. Yeah, uh, but you have, Matt. You came. I know you came on uh, Cheshire Ridge with me, and it's, uh, it's a reasonably challenging piece of ground. It's not dangerous. It's just quite tough. Uh, but what I loved is there was a lovely account, which I think I put in the book. <laughs> As usual, I've forgotten what's in the book and what isn't, of this bloke who... Uh, who says, oh, I'm just going for a lie down on the very last night at about two in the morning. We're just going to lie down in a dugout. And th- they went to look for him, and he wasn't in that dugout. He'd gone back to their old dugout. And, and this bloke wakes up at about four in the morning. Ah, a nice nap. Where is everybody? Oh, they're all gone. And he sort of rushes down to the beach. And you can imagine what was going through. There's nobody there. And he gets to the beach, and he just catches the, uh, there's a boat just doing what you mentioned, Matt, just going up and down the beach, checking, you know, and he he gets picked up. One of the things that will upset people about the book is that it's a standard Gallipoli joke that everybody was in the last boat that left. Uh, You've heard this, Matt. You've heard it as well, Gary, you know, and even on the internet, people are saying, oh, my, my, uh, my great uncle was in the last boat. And, you know, <laughs> we know who's in the last boat. It was a, it was a naval officer. There's no surprise from Helles, and that was about five or six o'clock on 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 the the last, you know, on the morning of the 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 ninth of January. But but what I like though is I don't mind that some of these tra- family traditions may not be exactly right. What they are though is important because it it, it means that, that 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 it's remembered. Does it matter? It's remembered not quite right. Oh, I don't care. It, you know, it. He was there. The the person. It, they were there late on, and uh, it, it's a reflection of the uh, what well, love is. About, but the the remembrance that exists in that family. So I respect that kind of thing. And I don't. You'll have noticed on social media. I don't come up and say, "No, nah, he wasn't." <laughs> I just well, let I, them enjoy. It's it. one of the. It's one of the things I love most you? about this this project is that it's it's encouraged people to revisit that family history again. And to find those connections. And again, people talk about my grandfather was at the landing or he participated in Lone Pine or Second Crithia or 
you know, a number of operations that occurred in the very early part of the campaign. But I love the fact that we're now shining a light on the evacuation because it's been overlooked for too long. It's been overlooked uh, potentially from even a scholarly point of view, but also definitely from a family history point of view. It's great that we, through this project, are uh, encouraging people to, um, to have a look at that and look back in their family history and find out these connections they have to the entire campaign. Um, it's just been fantastic. Lads, thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. It's uh, I'm really excited that the book is out now. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to pick up the book, you can go to livinghistorytv.com and grab your copy, pre-order your copy. Um, and of course, don't forget, you get, if you pre-order it before the end of July, you get uh, access to that special interview that Pete and I did where we include nearly 20 excerpts from oral history interviews with Gallipoli veterans. It's just amazing hearing Gallipoli veterans speaking in their own voice about their experience. And that, that special interview goes for two hours, so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful addition. Someone said to me the other day that they were happier to get their hands on that than they were the book, Pete. So, uh, so it, it is really something... Uh, quite remarkable but no the book is is remarkable as well the whole project i'm just you can tell from my voice i'm just really excited about it so pete thank you so much obviously for writing it and 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 agreeing to do it and gary also for your support um both with the the editing of the book and also the great work you guys are doing on the podcast it's uh, it's just uh, wonderful stuff that we're keeping these memories alive yeah i've said it before if uh, if pete's book means that some people go either back to gallipoli uh, and look at things slightly differently, perhaps, to the ways they had before, or go for the first time. You know, they really should, because you will see evidence of the evacuation when you get there. You will see the debris field above um, W Beach. You will see, hopefully, if it's still uh, left there, the lighter on on uh, W Beach from the storms. You, you look at things in a, in a different way, and I think Pete's book might help that. Thank you, Lance. Because it's quite because it's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> gents, thank you very much for joining us. And as I said, if you want to get the book, livinghistorytv.com, you can pick it up straight away. Gary, Pete, thank you so much for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, Matt. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.